0: Let's pray. Oh Father, the psalmist wrote that the ways of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness and how that's true. Your commands are good, Father. Your commands are lovely because your heart is eternal and your faithfulness is eternal and you will always do what you have said you would do. So whenever you command, you also promise and we can walk in your commands with joy because You have promised to be steadfast and faithful toward us. So indeed, Lord, here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down. Here we are like Jacob to say that You are our God because we found You to be steadfast in Your love. We found You to be faithful. We found You to be worthy as You are, O God, and so we thank You. And God, how we pray that You would inspire us to look to Your Word and to believe in Your Word and to submit to Your Word, that we might walk in Your ways and know Your heart, O oh Father. Reveal Yourself to us, Lord, as we walk in the ways of the Lord. O oh God, how I praise You, how I thank You for who You are, Father. And I pray now, Lord, that as we turn our hearts to Matthew chapter 9, I pray that You would be with us. I pray that You would teach us. I pray that You would open our eyes to the beauty of Your Word. I pray that You would equip us for life and for godliness. I pray that You would glorify Yourself. I pray that You would touch the lost and the least of these through us. I pray that You would increase the joy of our souls as we submit ourselves to Your Word and see with our own eyes that the ways of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. O God, come now and do, I pray, what I cannot do, namely, move in our hearts by the Holy Spirit for the glory of Your name. Oh, Father, how I praise and thank you for this. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read a few verses, and then I'll get into the message for today. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. last week we brought our time in the book of Genesis to a close and since I'm going on vacation today right after church I didn't feel good about starting the book of Exodus today and then being gone for a couple of weeks so I prayed about what I should do and what message I should bring and as I prayed and asked the Lord it was just clear to me from the beginning that I just wanted to take another Sunday another few moments to express my heart to you for my passion to see this church begin to engage the lost in Elk River and surrounding areas like we have not before. Our church has been involved in a number of ministries around the area and I would never belittle that over the years and we've been involved in international missions, but I do believe that now is the time for us to really care about and seek the lost here in our city, to go on mission with Jesus Christ, to join Him in the passion of the Father, to overflow with the love of the heart of God to those who need it most. I I just know that that's the Lord's will for us in the coming year, and so I thought I'd take this Sunday as my last word of this year of ministry to inspire us towards that end and to help us to share a little bit in the heart of Jesus. Over the last year or so, the Lord's been doing a lot of work in my own heart in this regard as I have prayed it, just as a man of God without much regard to the church, just as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I prayed and asked Him to help me share in His heart for the lost. And as you remember, last year I gathered about a hundred names from you of people that you're praying for to know Christ, and I've been praying over that list over and over again. And this summer I began praying through the streets of Elk River, one neighborhood at a time, and when I come back from vacation, I'll start that and think, or, or I'll, I'll continue that. Thanks to uh, Dave Fergus. I've been watching through the Way of the Master video series that just teaches you how to share the gospel. And my favorite part of those videos is just watching these guys out on the streets engaging with people who need to know Jesus. And as I've been swimming in all this this year, the Lord's just been doing a great work in my heart and firing me up to want to join with Him in His mission to seek and save the lost. And I pray that His work in me would spill over onto you even as His work in some of you have spilled over onto me. Some of you have a real passion for evangelism and it's affected me and I want to be like you when I grow up. Steve Flager's not here this morning, but he's probably chief among you in this way. He, this guy shares Christ with people everywhere he goes. When I gathered names to pray for, he said, Play for, pray for the person on the plane. And I asked him, what do you mean? And he said, well, every time I travel, there's somebody right here. And almost every time I share the gospel with them. So everywhere he goes, he's sharing the gospel. And I just love him for that. And I want to share his heart. And I pray that God would help us to join in this spirit with a rightful motive and and seek and save the lost in Elk River and beyond. Not just in India or Madagascar or in Albania or wherever, but right here in our own backyards. I want to say a few words this morning, just sketch out for you how I'm thinking about this, just for a couple minutes, and then I'll direct us back to Matthew chapter 9. And I want to say a few words about sharing in the heart of Jesus for the lost. What did He feel when He saw lost people? What did He think? What did He decide to do? And I, I just want to help us to press into the heart of Christ for the lost. I believe with all of my heart that God Almighty planted this church, Glory of Christ Fellowship, in this city that we might exalt His name as high as we can for the good of the lost and for the upbuilding of the church. I really believe that. A couple of weeks ago, Pat Masley and I met in the office and we talked about a number of things, but he said one thing to me that really touched my heart and has continued to touch my heart over the last few weeks. And it was simple but powerful for me. He said that when the Lord said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to Myself. And Pat was saying that, yes, that was about the cross. That was about Jesus being lifted up on the cross and Him drawing the nations to Himself. But that was also something that applies to our lives every day. It applies to us as individual believers. It applies to our families. It applies to community groups. It applies to this church as a whole. It applies to the church of Elk River and the church of the United States and the church in the world. If we will exalt Jesus Christ with our lips and with our manner of life, if we will lift Him up, then He will draw all men to Himself. And I just can't tell you how encouraging and how powerful that has been to me because it relaxes me, beloved. As God commands us to go into this city and take the land, He is going to do the heavy lifting. He's going to do all the hard work. Our part is to exalt Jesus Christ. His part is to do everything else. You see, sharing the Gospel is kind of a big deal. We're not trying to market a church. We're not trying to grow an institution. We are trying to raise the dead. People are spiritually dead. And the only way for them to believe is to be raised again from the dead, to be born again, that they might have eyes to see Jesus and hearts to praise Him and to prize Him. We can't do that. Only Christ can do that. But if we will exalt Him, He will do it. That's what's been encouraging to me. So thanks, Pat. Just such a simple thing. I cannot tell you how powerful that's been to me. Just exalt Christ and let Him do the rest. He will do it. He will do it. That's my heart for this church. I don't know what the external things will be like. I don't know if a lot of people will flood into the church. I don't know what it will be like. That's God's business. All I know is I want to see us have passion for the lost and pursue them like Christ pursued them. Just to go after them. Wake up every day with a heart to touch somebody who does not know Jesus Christ. Oh, God, give us this kind of heart, I pray. Over the last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about how that kind of a heart could take root in our church, and I've come to see, like, concentric circles. I've been writing about this in the devotionals, but let me just say a word about it now, and then we'll go to Matthew 9. I think in the center... We have to come to share in the heart of Jesus Christ. So this whole movement begins in our hearts and in our homes. It's first a private matter before it becomes a public matter. The reason Jesus had such passion to go after the lost is because He shared in the heart of the Father. Go read John 17, you'll see it. The reason Christ came to this earth was because of the overflowing love of the Father for the lost in the world. It was the love of God that propelled Christ into the world. And it's our love with Christ that will propel us into the world. So we must begin by sharing in the heart of Jesus in our hearts and in our homes. And then from there in our community groups. And then from the community groups to the whole church, to events and things like that that we'll do eventually. And then from there to participating with others in our city and our state and in our nation to reach the lost who are here and who so desperately need Jesus. So four concentric circles. The heart, the home, the community group, the whole church and then partnerships with other gospel believing ministries in our city and in our state and in our world. And Asa Vick has helped me to believe that we have to start this thing from the inside out. You don't start with the big circle, you start with the inner circle and seek to share in the heart of Jesus. And so that's why I wanted to take us to Matthew 9 today. I just want us to think upon, meditate upon, like what did Christ think when he saw lost people? What did he feel? And therefore, what did he do? So let's turn our attention there. And actually, if you'll flip back to Matthew chapter 9, I just want to take a few minutes and and uh, look at the context of how we get to chapter 9 because it's really amazing to see the pattern in Jesus' life, like the kind of life he lived. It's amazing just to think to yourself that he woke up every day and put his clothes on and then he went out there and lived his life every day and he lived a, a particular kind of life. And I think if you look at the, the context of Matthew 9, you get to see that, that what happened there was not just a one-moment deal. This was his way of life. So in chapter 4, you'll see that, that he was baptized by John the Baptist. Straight after his baptism, he went into the desert in his time of temptation, and the devil tested him very severely. And praise be to God, by the power of the Father, Jesus resisted every temptation... And after 40 days of praying and fasting and resisting the devil with all the strength of God, he came out of that desert with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him and he began his public ministry. The first thing he did was he called a a couple of disciples. And then after that, he went into the cities and he began to minister to people to all of their needs. He began to heal and to teach. Let's read quickly in the end of chapter 4 there, starting in verse 23. And when He went throughout all Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So His fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to Him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who were oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and He healed them. And great, Crowds followed Him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So what that's saying is Jesus was ministering up in the northern part of Israel but His fame began to spread so much that people came from everywhere from north, south, east and west to, to come and see Him and to follow Him. He came out of, the, out of the desert with a great power of the Spirit of God upon Him and He preached and He taught He shared the Gospel And he also healed diseases. He touched people's needs. He gave them uh, eternal life and he ministered to their temporal needs. And because such power was pouring through him, crowds came and they came and they came and they came. As he saw the crowds, he cared not only for their temporal needs, for their healing and food and stuff like that, but he cared about more so their eternal needs. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the most famous sermon in the world. It's the Sermon on the Mount where Christ stopped to give real spiritual food to these people. At one time in my life, along with a a church that I was a part of, I memorized uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and I would really commend you to do that sometime. It had a deep impact on me. I didn't retain it, so I couldn't quote it to you now. But in those years, the, just the process of memorizing the Sermon on the Mount was so powerful. Jesus Christ was teaching the people what it means to be inside the kingdom of God because He was a good shepherd and He loved these crowds with all of His heart. Then in chapters 8 and 9, He goes right back to the lifestyle. Just, just look at the string of things that happens. First in chapter 8, He cleanses a person who had leprosy, so He stretches forth His hand of power and heals Then there's a centurion who has a servant who's sick. And the servant isn't even in the room with Jesus. In fact, he's not even in the same city with Jesus. And Jesus simply gives the Word and across the land, the power of God moves out and heals the servants. Heals the centurion's servant and many believe. Then after that, more crowds came to Him and He healed many. Then after that, you'll see in, in chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus looked at the crowds and He said, listen, I know that I've blessed you, but I want you to understand something. Following Me is going to be hard. I love Jesus for telling us the truth. I said this to you a couple weeks ago. But there are many preachers out there that will tell you that if you come to Christ, life will be easier for you. You will be more blessed. You might get a new car or a Nintendo system or something like that. But Jesus Himself said, if you come to Me, you might have to lose your car. You might have to lose your Nintendo system. You might have to lose everything to follow me. In following me, you will gain eternal life. But in this world, you might have to suffer. And so he told the crowds honestly, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be very, very good. What's the next thing he does? He's out with his disciples in a boat. There's a massive storm. He exercises his power over nature and he commands the storm to stop and it does. I don't know what it was like where you live on Saturday morning, but on Saturday morning, man, the wind was blowing like crazy at our house. The trees are just hanging on for dear life. The lightning's striking and everything. And I was thinking yesterday, I just can't imagine going out into my backyard and saying, Stop! And all of a sudden the storm would just stop. I can't imagine that. But that's Christ. That's the power of Christ being exercised over nature. Next, you'll see there he heals two people with demons in them. In other words, now Christ is not only exercising power over nature, but he's exercising power over spiritual forces of evil who are harassing the helpless sheep that he loves so much. So he spoke the word and boom, the demons had to flee. In chapter 9, he heals a man who's a paralytic. And then He calls Matthew. And then He answers a question about fasting. And then He heals a woman that's had a lifelong disease in her body. And then He does a little thing. He raises a young girl from the dead. And then after that, He heals two blind men. And then after that, He heals a person who could not speak, who was deaf and who was dumb. And then we finally come to our text in Matthew chapter 9. So, do you see a pattern here, beloved? Do you see Jesus' way of life? I'm sure that more happened from day to day in Jesus' life than Matthew was able to summarize. I remember at the end of the Gospel of John, John said, listen, I've basically just sketched this out for you. If I was to tell you everything Jesus did, the whole world couldn't hold the book. So I'm sure he did a lot more than this, but Matthew's trying to tell the story to paint a picture for us. Here's a, a man who cared deeply for the lost sheep that he saw and he laid his life down for them. He taught them. He healed them. He blessed them. He lived His life with them. He pursued them. This was Jesus Christ's way of life. It was not simply about a moment in time. It was His way. So with that, let me just once more read the verses in Matthew 9 together with a little bit of context now. And Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. So, Jesus, beloved, who by the way was utterly holy, He is God in flesh, He's more holy. He's more righteous than anyone who's ever walked this earth. But when He encountered in city after city after city, when He encountered people who were not walking with God, who were not living holy lives, and who deserved to be judged and even condemned... He did not look down His nose upon them, and He did not condemn them. One day He will come and judge all nations. That's true. But in this day He comes with a heart of compassion. He Himself said, I did not come to judge the earth, but I came that through Me they might have eternal life. And as He went from one place to another to another, and saw the crowds, this One who is holy, holy, holy looked upon them, and His heart was moved for them. His heart was moved for them. What do you think? What do you feel when you see the lost? When you go by a bar and you see bikers or whoever drinking and smoking and doing their thing and partying and ruining their lives and doing whatever. What do you think? What do you feel? Jesus felt compassion. That's what He felt. He said, oh, these people, they're, they're harassed. They're battered about by life. They're helpless. They can't do much of anything about their situation. They're like sheep who don't have a shepherd. They don't have leaders in their lives. They don't have people showing them the way that they should go. And so they're aimless. They're wandering. They're going from one place to another. They're involving themselves in all kinds of things. They're putting themselves in dangerous places where wolves will come in and steal and kill and destroy. This was Jesus' heart. These people are like sheep and they need a shepherd. Oh, how they need a shepherd. That was His heart. Now this metaphor, beloved, of sheep and shepherd, it's not coming out of nowhere. It was not simply coming out of the fact that Jesus lived in an agricultural environment where there were farmers who had sheep and goats and all that. Jesus knew the Scripture very, very well. He knew it backward and forward. Probably we know from tradition, He probably had memorized great, great portions of the Bible. When He was only 12 years old, He confounded the best teachers in Israel because He knew the Word of God so well. And so Jesus knew Ezekiel 34. He knew it. Would you keep your finger here in Matthew and turn with me to Ezekiel 34? If you're not real familiar with the Bible, it goes Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then I believe Ezekiel's right next. It is. So Ezekiel 34. In this chapter, the Lord condemns the the shepherds of Israel, by which He means the spiritual leaders of Israel. He means the priests He means the scribes. He means the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He means the people who are supposed to have authority over the people of Israel for their good and the glory of God. And God roundly rebukes them. And here is His rebuke. God says, shepherds, you are living for yourselves and not for me or for my people. You are using the people to feed your own selves, to feed your own lusts, rather than laying your lives down for the good of the people. He roundly rebukes them. And then look in verse 11. He makes a prophecy. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for the sheep, and I will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness." And I will bring them out from the peoples, and I will gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with the good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel." I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And I think He knew it. Later in His life, He brought His disciples through a Bible study and showed them where He was in all the Old Testament. And I believe from a very young age, Jesus knew He was the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 34. So as soon as He was done being tempted in the desert, as soon as He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, He went out from city to city to city to seek and save the lost. This was His passion. This was his lifestyle. He said somewhere else that the whole reason he came to the earth was to seek and to save the lost. His heart was moved with the compassion of God the Father. And so he lived a lifestyle that that worked that out. Day by day by day, this was what he did. He woke up and he went out to seek and save the lost. This was our God. Now some of you might say that worked for him because he didn't have a job. He didn't have a thing he had to do day to day and today like I do. And all I would say is we can seek and save the lost too right where we are. Where we pull our paycheck from is completely irrelevant to this whole discussion. What this is about is our heart for the world. And when we go to work, when we go to school, when we're in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, we can join Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. His passion was not about circumstances. It was about the heart of God in Him, overflowing through Him. This was His way of life, beloved. And I'm so impressed with what He said to His disciples at this point. He looks at them He feels deep compassion for the crowds. And then instead of turning to them and and sort of telling them, listen, there's a lot of work we have to do. You better get to work or you better recruit your friends. or Come on, we need a lot of people to go out there and, and do stuff. Here's what He said. He turned to His disciples and said, listen, the harvest is plentiful. You've seen it with your own eyes. We've gone from one city to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And everywhere we've gone, there are crowds and crowds and crowds. The harvest is plentiful. The need in every city on this earth for a touch from God is very, very great. But here's the problem. There aren't enough workers. So here's what I want you to do, disciples. Now, at, here, at this point, many of us would expect He would say, get to work. And in a way, that's what He said. But He said to do it in a particular way. He said, the harvest is plentiful, so pray. Pray earnestly. Pray with passion. Pray with consistency. Pray with desire. Pray, pray, pray. The word actually means beg. There's one word here in the Greek. It means to beg. Beg the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers into his harvest. I don't know about you, but that really impresses me. That touches me. Two things. That Christ was so moved by the crowds when He was the Holy One who could have judged the crowds. But He's moved in compassion for them. We've been seeing in Genesis just how merciful God is. He's not different in the Old Testament and the New Testament, beloved. And when Christ came, He was overflowing with the same love to the crowds that God the Father overflowed with to Adam and to Cain and to Abel and to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and others. This is our God. He is merciful. And I feel deeply impressed by Him. I just plainly admire Jesus. He's a compassionate man. The second thing that impresses me is that His solution to the problem is that we should pray. We should pray. And not just say words, but pray earnestly. Pray with passion. Pray with consistency. Pray with truthfulness. So there's probably a lot of reasons why He said that, but I just want to give you three reasons why I think Jesus' solution to the problem is to pray, pray, pray. First of all, as we pray for the lost sheep... I think that we come to share in God's heart for those sheep. You want to develop a love for anybody, for your spouse, for your children, for a friend, for a coworker, for a neighbor, for a city, for a nation. I, 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 I promise you, if you will pray for them, you will develop a passion for them. I have found in my life that as I pray for people, God shares a piece of His heart with me for that person. When I'm in a spot where I'm getting irritated by Kimmy or whatever, for instance, or by Rachel, I realize that the problem is in me because I'm not praying for them. Because if I prayed for them, I'd be a lot less about myself and a lot more about the love of God overflowing to them. One day, when I was pastoring in Northern California, our, our city there was surrounded by mountains. So every Thursday, I would go up on the mountains and I would pray, just spend a quiet time with the Lord, and then I, I would pray over the city there. And one day in particular, I was praying over a part of the city. I was looking down at the houses, thinking about that neighborhood. And what I knew about that neighborhood is a very wealthy neighborhood, very hard-hearted toward the gospel. People didn't want anything to do with Jesus. The, the people in that very neighborhood had been trying to get us kicked out of the building that we had been renting for some time. And as I prayed for them, I began to cry and then to weep. And I was weeping from like a deep place. I don't quite know how to explain it, but I had been with the Lord for hours, and so somehow in my connection with the Spirit, I began to weep in a way that I think to that day I had never quite wept like that, and it really sort of took me by surprise. And While I was in the midst of weeping, I sensed the Holy Spirit whispering to me and saying this, Charlie, what you're feeling is just a glimpse of what I feel for this city. Now when I sense a word like that from the Lord, I always test it. So I began to think and I began to pray. And I remembered Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 9. I remember the compassion that moved His heart when He looked upon the people. I remembered Matthew chapter 23. You remember when He was looking over Jerusalem. He's looking out at the people. He's looking at the religious leaders. He's looking at all the common folk that had come to the temple. He's looking at at foreigners who had nothing to do with the God of Israel. And he's weeping over the city and he says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I have longed to bless you and to bring you under my wings as a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not. But here's his heart, beloved, weeping over a city. And that day as I prayed in Northern California, I came to see that he weeps in that same way over every city on this earth. He did feel that deeply for that city. And He does feel that deeply for Elk River, Minnesota, and for every city in which we live. He really does. When Jesus Christ looks at your city, I I live in Otsego. When He looks at Otsego, He does not feel what I feel. He weeps. He feels deeply. He's moved with great compassion. And I promise you, beloved, as you pray earnestly for your city, you will come to share in the heart of God for your city. I promise you that that will happen. And so I encourage you, I urge you, obey the Lord Jesus. Obey Him. And pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And and watch. You'll see that He'll share His heart with you. Second reason I think Christ asked us to pray and not to act... Is because I think he knows this law. When we pray, we will often act. As you begin to pray for the lost in your city, you'll say, "Lord, send laborers, send laborers, send laborers." Lord, send me. At some point, you begin to realize, "Oh, I've got to go too." I read a story last year in a book I was reading on prayer of a young man who came to Christ, and he asked his father in the faith. He said, "What should I do?" And 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 uh, his pastor, his father in the faith, said, "Well, why don't you go share the." the gospel with all of your friends that don't know Christ and, and do it urgently. And the young man said, Oh, I can't do that. I'm too afraid. So the pastor, rather than than uh, pushing him, just said, Okay, well then do this. List out the names of your friends, and then pray over them every single day for thirty days. Do not miss a single day, and don't do anything else. Do not speak to them. Do not go to them. Do not interact with them. Just pray, 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 pray and pray. And the young man having a humble spirit did exactly what his pastor told him to do. And as he did, if I remember the story right, it's somewhere like eight, nine, 10 days into this, he came to his pastor and he said, oh, pastor, can I break the command? Can I go and talk to my friends? Can I please, you told me not to do it for 30 days, but I just have to share the gospel. And he did with one particular guy and that guy came to Christ. Why? Because God moved his heart to go. Now it was not a like a marketing campaign where he was being urged to have to go share the gospel. It was the heart of God bleeding into him and now overflowing through him. And Jesus knows that if we will pray, our motives will be set right and we will have a passion to go into the harvest. We will. Nobody will have to urge us. God Himself will send us. Jesus knows that. A third reason why I believe He called us to pray is because for some reason, God has set the universe up where if we pray, He will act. He doesn't need our prayers. He's God. He can do anything He wants to do. But He is a relational Father and He includes His children in His work. And so He says, pray to me, pray to me, pray to me. Interact with me. Do this with me. The work is an excuse to bond with our Father. And as we pray, He moves. He's so serious about that that the Bible is clear that if we don't pray, He will not move in given situations. There are are things God would love to do right now, but He's waiting for us to pray. This is one of them. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers out into our cities. If we will pray, He will act. Old timers used to say, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And that's true. And I think Jesus knew that. Somehow or other, our fatherly heart of our God is moved when we pray and He will act. So three reasons. Pray because you'll share in the heart of God. Pray because when the time is right, you will be motivated to go into the harvest yourself and pray because when you pray, God will move. So, beloved, I urge you, pray. I urge you. And I'm I really mean it. I'm urging you, consider your lifestyle. Pray to the Lord of the harvest as a way of life, not just a moment in time. What I have on my heart in these days for glory of Christ is not a temporary emphasis, but to begin to, to breed in us a way of life where we pray and go and pray and go and pray and go and pray and go. And we might not be the best at this. I don't care about that. I just want to see us going on mission with Jesus. So I urge you not to submit to my commands, but to submit to your Master's commands to Jesus and pray earnestly. I'm about to go on vacation, and I need to set aside the work of the ministry for a couple of weeks, but I will not set aside the work of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because I need Him at all times. And I promise you, when I'm riding my bike around southeast Minnesota, and by the way, thank you for praying. God has pretty much healed my ankle, and I can ride my bike around southeast Minnesota. So thank you, and praise be to God. As I'm doing that, I promise you, I will be praying for the thousand other cyclists that I'll be riding with. And on a bike, many, many times, I've been side by side with someone riding for mile after mile after mile. You wouldn't believe the conversations that can come up. I have shared the Gospel many times on my bike, and I pray to do that then. Last year, Kim and Alex went into coffee shops and towns that we were in, and they shared the Gospel wherever we went. Beloved, I'm talking about a way of life that goes with you everywhere. Everywhere. I told Dave Fergus a couple weeks ago, I want to get to the place this year where every day, these first parts I already do. Every day I read my Bible. I've done that for years. Every day I pray. Every day I worship the Lord. And now I want to be able to say this year, every day I share the gospel with somebody. I tell at least one person every day of my life how they can know Jesus Christ. Ray Comfort and others do this. And I know that the Lord can do this in me. I want to go on mission with Christ every single day of my life. And I urge you to join me in this. Not in submitting to me, but in submitting to the command of Jesus Christ. Beloved, there is so much joy here for us. And I pray that we would enter into that joy. So I'm going to close now just about three more minutes, four more minutes, and just give you a few practicals of what you should do. If you feel moved by what the Lord is saying to the church in these days, here's five things that you could do. Number one is pray the Word so that you come to share God's heart. And here's what I mean. Take a passage like Matthew 9, or you could go to Matthew 25, another place where Jesus commands us to love the least of these. Or you could go to John 3.16 and surrounding verses and think about it deeply, pray it into your heart. That the reason God sent Jesus Christ was because He so loved the world. He had such deep compassion for the world. Or you could go to Ephesians 2, where it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich with what? Rich with mercy. And because of the great love with which He loved us, He made us alive together with Christ. Oh, beloved, pray that text into your heart. Feel what God feels. See what God sees when He looks upon the lost and and eventually you will act as God acts. Pray the Scriptures. And I promise you, God, your Father, will share His heart with you. You'll understand to new depth what I've been talking about this morning. Secondly, pray with your families and pray in your neighborhoods. Pray with your wives and your husbands. Pray with your children. Take prayer walks in your neighborhoods. Consider becoming a, a lighthouse of prayer. When I get back from vacation, I want to write some devotionals about what that means. But very simply now, it was a movement that started some years ago, and the idea is very, very simple. In your neighborhood, pray, care, and share. Prayer, care, and share. The idea is this. Begin by doing prayer walks in your neighborhood and just pray for your corner of the harvest field. Pray that God would bless you for them. Pray that God would send laborers into your particular part of the vineyard. Just pray for 30 days. Do nothing but pray, 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 pray and take it seriously. And then as you pray, begin to ask God to open up doors that you might care for the people in your neighborhoods. I've seen people do this and it amazes me the kinds of things that come up. One time, a woman I knew was praying this very thing and one of her neighbors came over, a a lost person with whom they had almost no interaction. And she comes over to the house and says, listen, I'm going to have some plastic surgery on Monday. I'm getting a tummy tuck. And, and I need you, would you watch my children for me? And this woman came to a class that I was teaching and she said, I'm really struggling because as a believer, I don't believe in plastic surgery. I think it's a waste of time and a waste of money and all that. But this woman's asked me to help her, so what should I do? And my advice to her was, do it. Who cares what the reason is? God's opened up a door for you to care for a person to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Believe me, God will open up doors in your neighborhood if you will only pray. And then the third thing is, as you do care for people with the love of Christ, be ready to share the hope that is within you. Be ready to tell them that Jesus is the reason that you're doing what you're doing. One day with Habitat for Humanity, Kim and I and some others from our college went and we painted an entire neighborhood in one day. You know how that goes. There was probably 200 people that showed up and we painted a whole neighborhood in Southern California. At lunchtime, I was sitting with a particular family with four generations of Hispanics. They were feeding us lunch for painting their house and the old one asked me, why are you doing what you're doing? And I told him very boldly, we love Jesus Christ and He's been so merciful to us that we just had to come here and bless you. So we cared for people just because we cared for people. And then God opened up a door and I was able to share the Gospel with four generations who lived in one house. The Lord will do this for you. He will do this for you. So pray, care, and share. I really hope that you'll consider that. Third thing and fourth thing are are related to each other. The third thing is learn how to articulate the good news of Jesus. If someone came up to you today and asked, how do I become a Christian? Could you answer them? Would you know what to say? And if the answer to that is no, that's okay. There's there's ways to learn. When I come back, Asa is going to work with me to help us do some training at the church just to help us learn how to articulate the Gospel. But for now, you could go to a site like like wayofthemaster.com and they will teach you how to articulate the Gospel. And I would just encourage you, do this with each other in your homes and practice so that you get used to sharing the truth of Christ. When you're driving down the road, say to your wife, say, hey, I'd like to know Christ. Can you tell me how? And then just let her tell you and, and then talk about it. Talk about what you did. And vice versa. Just talk the Gospel. Learn to speak the Gospel out. So that when God opens up a door for sharing, you'll know what to say. The fourth thing that's related is learn to tell your story. This uh, week I've been reading the book of Acts in my personal devotionals and I noticed a couple times God opened doors wide open for Paul the Apostle just simply to tell the story of what Jesus did in his life. And there was power in it because Jesus was the center of the story and not Paul. Now some of you have a story like mine where you were a drug addict and you were this and you were that and God sent a lightning bolt and saved you and it's like a big testimony. Some of you have that. Others of you are more like my wife. This woman came to Christ at seven years old. She never did the things, you know, don't drink, cuss, smoke or chew or run around with those who do. She never did any of that. God saved me out of a life like that. God saved her from ever going into a life like that. And that's a powerful story. The same power that took me out kept her from going in. Some of you feel like you don't have a testimony. And beloved, if you know Jesus, you do. Your life is about Jesus. So learn to say what He has done in your life because He's done something great. If you know Him, it is a miracle that you know Him just as much as it's a miracle for me who was saved out of drug addiction. So learn to value your story and be willing to tell your story. Here's the great things God has done for me. I heard a pastor once get up and say, God saved me out of a life of of sexual illicitness and drugs and all that. And He did it when I was like four years old. And then the whole crowd was silent and he said, well, because I grew up in a Christian home and God kept me from ever going into those things and ever doing those things. And I thought, amen, that's powerful. The same God that raises the dead and saves a drug addict also saves sweet souls like my wife, Kimmy. So learn to value your story and tell your story. And finally, all I want to say is be ready for action. When the Master calls your number, be eager and ready to do something. And I would just say, don't worry if you're doing it right or doing it wrong. Just do something. A ship that's moving is easier to steer, right? So don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't be paralyzed like you're going to say it wrong or do it wrong. Your, Your Master loves you. Jesus loves you. He will guide you in the way that you should go. Remember, His first apostles had no education, no nothing at all. And there they were standing before kings, and testifying to the powerful people of the land, so much so that some of them looked at John and Peter and said, "Who are you? You're not educated. You got nothing." And they said, "Yeah, well, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. He's the one instructing us. And if you know Christ, you have that too." So five things. I'm not sure if I can remember them off the top of my head. So look at my. Let me look at my notes. Meditate on the Word. Pray the Word. Pray with your families. Learn to share the Gospels. To speak it out. Learn to tell your story and just be willing to act when Jesus calls your number. And I believe that if you'll submit to Him, you will enter into the joy of your Master. I really believe that. And I really pray and I hope this for my own life, for my own family, and for the life of this church. Let's pray to that end now. Our Father, our heart is simply to exalt You in this city and beyond. And I pray that You would answer this prayer of ours. You are great, O God, and greatly to be praised And your greatness is unsearchable. And we want to live an exalting lifestyle where everywhere we go, we're lifting up the name of Jesus with our lips and with our way of life. Father, we are falling short of this, but you are so immensely merciful. So please come by the power of the Holy Spirit and make us holy and make us focused. Make us passionate. Make us equipped to do the things that you have called us to do. How we love you and thank you for what you'll do. In the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.